High Praise Podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Joshua, lead pastor here at High Praise, and I want to thank you for downloading today's podcast. We know that this message is going to encourage and bless you. So I want you to open up your heart and receive what the Lord has for you today. Grab your Bible, uh, go to Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to be continuing this series on foundations uh, that Dad kicked off last week. How many here last week and were blessed and got something out of it? I actually, um, I love doing stuff like this. Y'all know that uh, I can, I can... Pentecostal preach uh, whenever I want to, uh, and and whenever that is the anointing and the flow, and you know it's all probably going to come out of me at some point. But I, I really love to do this. I love to teach. I love to break things down. I love to talk about doctrine and theology. Um, so this is really cool for me that we're talking about foundations. Uh, and uh, Ephesians four actually tells us this. It says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro. I think y'all have it. You can throw it up. Yeah. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. That's a lot of, a lot of words to say basically this. Do not get carried away with everything that you hear. Right? Don't get carried away with everything that you hear. And we say this, don't get carried away with everything that you feel. Just because you feel something does not mean it's from God. Just because someone tells you something does not mean it is what Scripture says. It, I, don't, I don't expect you to believe what I say just because I say it. I've got no problem with anybody going in scripture to see if what I say is scriptural. Why? Because I study, because I am grounded, because I'm not just pulling stuff out of a hat. I am through, I'll talk about this in a minute, but I'm through study, through, uh, um, through, through knowledge, which knowledge is not a bad word, by the way. Neither is study, neither is doctrine, neither is theology. These are good words. These are good things that keep Christians rooted and grounded, and especially in our tradition of, of Pentecostal charismatic Christianity, if you are not rooted and grounded in doctrine and theology, you will become a weirdo. I've seen it a million times. You will become a weirdo. I have seen a million charismatic believers who are driven by what they feel rather than what scripture says, rather than what the, what, and, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but rather than even what tradition is, tradition is not inherently a bad word. There's certain worship songs, even out right now, that there's some things I say about breaking down tradition. And honestly, they make me angry whenever I hear it because church tradition is actually something that's important. The traditions of men that make the word of God to no effect are not good. But church traditions that lift up the name of Jesus, that encourage church community and koinonia, the, 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 the things in our community that are biblical, scriptural, Christ-centered traditions are not something to tear down just because you want to be avant-garde and hip. 
right? That's not the way this works. Are y'all with me? I'm going to be starting preaching yet, but this is good. There's only one thing that will ultimately cause people to be stable, to not be tossed to and fro, to not be just driven by everything that someone says, every word of doctrine, every prophetic word, every TikTok clip, every Instagram reel that you see, which one of the biggest problems we have now, and I know, I know that the, the teenagers are over next door tonight and they're probably a lot more driven to TikTok than some of you are in this room, but how many of y'all, y'all ever peruse TikTok? It's okay, you can, you can raise your, okay. That's a good deal, y'all. Listen, one of the worst things that's ever happened in my opinion to a young Christian generation is the TikTok thing. Theology bros. If you try to explain theology in a TikTok, you're going to be sorely disappointed because because theology and doctrine is deep and it is rich and it is diverse. And if you try to if you try to break it down to a 30 second clip, you're in trouble. I mean, don't get me wrong. We post 30 second clips all the time of ministry to encourage, to uplift, to exhort, to comfort. Those are great. But if you're trying to explain the theology in 30 seconds, good luck. But this belief that has arisen, uh, that if it feels good, and if it makes me feel good, then it must be God, is just not true. Uh, it, we cannot be so experience-driven that we ignore doctrine. We cannot be so emotionally driven that we ignore theology. These are important things. Uh, I, I'm a, how many of y'all who John Wesley is? Anybody know who John Wesley is? All right. Some of y'all do, most of, about half of you. John Wesley was a, uh, he was the leader of the Methodist movement, uh, but became known as the Methodist movement back in the late 1800s, before any of us were alive. And uh, he, he developed um, this form um, from which he, he formed doctrine, what he believed. And later in the 20th century, it would be coined as what is called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Uh, and it is still largely what a lot of um, uh, evangelical Protestant believers, even though we don't use that term, it is a lot of what we use in order to form our own doctrines and theologies that we have. Uh, and I believe this is important because uh, the, the Wesleyan quadrilateral, uh, whenever Wesley would talk about it, he said, first, First and foremost, the cornerstone upon which everything must be built in theology is Scripture. The cornerstone upon which all of it must be built uh, is, is the Word. That is what everything else is built upon. But then he said you have three other things that you weigh in the balance of all of this. Uh, and the four sources are chiefly Scripture, along with tradition, along with reason, and along with the Christian experience. Right? Because there are people who will come and try to tell you things about Scripture that they might can cherry pick a Scripture and says, well, the Bible says this. Yeah, but my Christian experience, you can try to cherry pick a Scripture and tell me that the gifts of the Spirit aren't for today. But my Christian experience and my tradition built upon Scripture tells me that it is for us today. Because Scripture, as in, and don't get me wrong, it's incredibly important. Scripture must be balanced uh, in light of, first of all, other Scripture. Because anybody can cherry pick a Scripture and make any kind of doctrine they want. People have done it for centuries. Scripture is always interpreted in light of other Scripture. That's the like, number one rule of biblical interpretation. Is scripture is always interpreted in light of other Scripture. But you also can't build a doctrine simply upon experience. And that's what a lot of people have done today. And that's how we end up with flakes. 
That's how we end up with weirdos. That's how we, as, 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 as Pentecostal, charismatic, prophetic Christian believers, whatever you want to call us, end up with a bad name a lot of times because people have built upon experience and they have ignored the word. They have ignored tradition. They haven't checked the boxes of all these other things. They just go, well, I felt that. Well, I'm glad you felt that. But what does the word say about what you felt? What does scripture say about what you felt? Because just because you have an experience and you tell me an alien came to you and told you to do four backflips and run around your house naked in order to get delivered does not mean that's real. Because that isn't supported by scripture at all. So your experience never outweighs what the word says. The tradition that you were raised in never outweighs what the word says. Your reasoning never outweighs what the word says. Now, these, all of these things should be in agreement with the word, right? But they never outweigh the word. Y'all with me? Acts 2.42 even tells us about the early church that they continued steadfastly in what? The what? The apostles what? Not the apostles' miracles. Not the apostles' charisma, but in their doctrine, in what they believed, in what they taught. The early church were anchored in biblical doctrine a lot more than they were anchored. What would become biblical, obviously, they didn't have a Bible at the time, but what they were teaching became Bible. Right? It was anchored in doctrine. It was anchored in the doctrine of the apostles. I, and I, I firmly believe this that one of the reasons the early church was full of power because they were a church of sound doctrine. You show me a church of sound doctrine, and I will show you a church that's full of power. You show me a church that's lacking doctrine, and I'll show you a church that might have a lot of expressions, but there's no power in said expressions. Right? Y'all with me? They're inseparable. Doctrine and power are inseparable. Power is released in proportion to what you believe. To what you believe. It's released through faith, which is what you believe. And if you believe the wrong thing, you'll short circuit the power. I turned you, told you to turn to Hebrews 6 15 minutes ago, so hopefully you found it. Hebrews 6, chapter 1, I mean, excuse me, chapter, chapter 6, verse 1 says this. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the what? foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Stop there, if you will. We see here, Dad talked about this last week. We see this, what, what um, some theologians call the uh, six foundational doctrines of Christ, right? We see them here. Dad actually talked about the doctrine of baptisms last week. We went out of sequence simply because we had baptism last Sunday. So we went out of sequence for a reason. How many got baptized on Sunday? Great things. It was awesome. Uh, from what I heard, I wasn't out there because I was sick as a dog in the green room, but I heard it was great. But uh, it was the green room on Sunday for sure. Um, but... Uh, Dad ministered last week on the doctrine of baptisms. And tonight, uh, what we want to do is we want to talk about the, doc, uh, the doctrine of repentance um, from dead works. And we will get to faith towards God if we have time.
We'll see. So what are these six foundational doctrines? One, repentance from dead works. Two, faith towards God. Three, the doctrine of baptisms. Not the doctrine of baptism, but the doctrine of baptisms, which Dad talked about last week and we'll probably touch on a little bit more in the future. Laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, right? So that's the six that we see. So tonight, we're going to talk a little bit, a little bit about repentance. The very first foundational doctrine, right? that the writer of Hebrews mentions here is repentance. It's repentance. This must be important because it is the very first thing that they say. And a lot of times I, you know, I, I have, I have staff meetings. I have, I have staff that I work with. I have people that I talk to all the time. And if I'm ever wanting to communicate something really, really make sure the point is clear. I don't want it to get lost in the middle of the meeting or in the middle of the conversation. So what do you do? You lead with it. It's one of the first things, you're either gonna lead with it or you close with it. In a lot of cases, you do both. But in this instance, the writer of Hebrews leads when talking about these doctrines on repentance from dead works. And there's a, uh, one reason I believe it is mentioned first is it, is it becomes the foundation of all others. Right? If you can't get repentance right, you're not going to get any of these other things right. And they're not going to be effective in your life if you are not walking in repentance. You have to have a heart of repentance. And unfortunately, in the church world today, there's really not as much said about repentance as there should be. Or we do this and we live on two opposite lands of extreme. We refuse to talk about repentance because we might make people feel bad about themselves. Or we make sure people feel bad about themselves by constantly telling them how worthless they are and how they need to repent every second of their life because they never get anything right. Right? But there is a road to walk in the middle where we begin to imbalance which is a good word. Heard, heard a preacher say once, balance is, a, is not a biblical word. And I'm like, well, I would disagree with that quite vehemently. Narrow is the road that leads to life and few there are that find it. And to walk anything narrow, gotta have balance. If you've ever tried to walk on something narrow and you haven't had balance, you will fall off. And I'm convinced a lot of the reason that people are falling off in faith is because they haven't walked in balance. Balance is so important. Not balance in that we balance if we're going to follow Jesus and follow the world. We balance in the way that we walk in the teachings of Jesus and we don't just throw the baby out with the bathwater and we also just don't take it to extremes that are crazy. Y'all with me? So repentance is important. Some view it as a, as a bad word. As a, in church growth seminars, a lot of times they'll tell you, don't say the word repent. Don't say anything about the blood. Don't say these things because they are not, uh, they're not going to bring people. They're not, let's just say what it is. They're not going to put butts in the seats. But I am much less concerned with putting butts in seats as I am about seeing people become who Jesus has called them to be. And you can't see people become who Jesus has called them to be without talking about repentance. You can't do it. You cannot do it. And we'll see why in a minute. Repentance is a good word. Repentance is one of the best words you will ever hear. 
because it calls you to transformation. It calls you to leave an old life behind and embrace something a lot better than what you're living in right now. Repentance doesn't call you to a life of drudgery. Repentance calls you to a life more abundant. Bonhoeffer said said this. Uh, How many know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is? All right, some of y'all know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is. Bonhoeffer was a was a German pastor, right in the middle of, of and theologian, uh, in the middle of, uh, in the middle of World War II, and he was a a an objector, obviously, to Nazi Germany. He was actually one of the few. This is historical fun for you. Uh, Bonhoeffer was actually one of the very few ministers in Germany that was. A uh, was an objector to the Nazi regime. The majority of preachers and pastors, Christian preachers and pastors in Nazi Germany threw their full support behind Adolf Hitler because they believed that he was going to restore Germany to God. And as a result, they threw their full support behind Adolf Hitler. And Bonhoeffer was one of the few that stood opposed and was eventually killed because of his uh, opposition to Adolf Hitler. There's your fun history fact for the night. Uh, But uh, Bonhoeffer said this. He said, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Um, And that can sound very daunting, except for I, I would like to add something to the end of what Bonhoeffer said, which is this. When Jesus calls a man, he calls him to, he bids him to come and die, but he offers him a much better resurrected life. He calls you to die to you, but to be resurrected into something much greater. That's one of the things that we even, uh, we talked about baptisms last week, but that's one of the things in baptism. Whenever we go in the water, we are, the, the old man is put in a, in, a, in a watery grave, in a tomb, but a new man emerges. Listen, when Jesus called you to repent, that involves you laying down some things, but what you pick up is a lot greater than what you have to lay down. It's not really, when you view it rightly, it's not as big of a sacrifice as you might feel it might be at one point whenever you realize you have to lay down your sin but you get to pick up his righteousness you have to lay down what you want to do but you have to pick up a plan that he has for you that is so much greater than the plan that you have for yourself so repent is a good word it's the best word you'll ever hear repentance let's let's define it real quick it's the Greek word metanoia. Some of you have probably heard that before. And, and one of the most common things we hear, we hear people say this about repentance, that repentance means to turn around and go in a different way. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Yeah. Right? Repentance means to turn around and go in a different way. And that's partially true. What it really means is a changing of your mind, of the way that you think, that causes a change in the way that you go. That's what it really, really means. It means to change your mind, your purpose, to think differently, and to turn, right? I've given this analogy before. If I'm walking this way, and I suddenly pivot, and I go this way, where did that start? Did it start in my feet? This this is not a trick question, guys. I know some of y'all been out of school for a while, but does it start in my feet? To start my legs. Where's the start? My mind. Starts not even consciously, right? We just do this, but everything that we do, every action our body makes, what I'm doing with my arms right now, I'm not even thinking about it. Now I am because I thought about it. Now it's really confusing. It starts here. It starts in the way that you think. That's why a lot of people will try to just change their actions and call it repentance, and it is unsuccessful. 
it has limited results. It might change for a moment, but it doesn't change forever because they are simply trying to refrain from doing something without changing the way that they think about things. And if you don't change the way that you think, if you don't renew your mind to the word, if you don't renew your mind to what God has said about you, you will ultimately only be able to control your actions for so long. That's why so many people live in sin cycles. Right? This is why people live in these cycles where they, they repent and they're good for a week or two or a month or two months or whatever, but then they fall right back into it. It's not necessarily because you've got the thorn in the flesh. It's because you haven't changed the way you think. It's because you've tried to change your action without renewing your mind to the word. And thusly, you haven't really changed who you think you are. You've just tried to act different. But you have to renew your mind to what God has said about you. Whenever I, 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 did, I did youth for years, I always told the kids this. I told, I told the kids this all the time. Pastor Castle could tell you this because he was one of my youth. Travis could tell you this. He was one of my youth years and years ago, many, many moons. They could tell you this. One of the things I always told kids is on this. Everything that you do in your life, you must run it through the filter of the word. Every decision that you make, you must run it through the filter of the word. And the only way you can run something through the filter of the word is you've got to know what the word says. You can't expect to renew your mind to what God has said about you if you're not reading what he said about you. So you know what that means? It means you have to actually read your Bible. I know that's surprising for some of you. There's a believer, you should read the Bible. But listen, you go, well, I read it before. Well, read it again. How many times have you watched that, your favorite movie? How many times have you watched The Office through? I know some of y'all roll, it just plays in the background all the time. How many times have you watched Friends or MASH or whatever your thing is? Some of y'all, we gotta go back to MASH. <laughs> Cheers, I don't know. Whatever your jam is. How many times have you watched that? But you feel like because you read a scripture once whenever you were 14, you're set for life. You renew your mind to the word continually, to what God says about you. If you don't know what the word says, you can't renew your mind. You've got to read the word, to transform your mind, to repent. Once you repent, get in the word. First doctrine of the church is simply this, right? You must change. First doctrine of the church is simply this, you must change. I know sometimes we don't like that because, and, and, and by the way, I, I agree with this. We, we have pushed so heavily, and I agree with this statement, so don't misunderstand me. We have so pushed this of come as you are. And I believe that 100%. Come as you are, but don't stay the way that you came. You with me? Come as you are, but don't stay the way that you came. Come the way that you are with your messed up life, with your jacked up family, whatever it is, whatever it is in your life that's a mess, Jesus is standing with open arms and he's not waiting for you to get right in order to love you and accept you. But once he brings you into the fold, he says, now we're gonna begin to transform your life and you're not gonna be the same person. And it's gonna be much better for you on the other side. Come as you are, but don't stay the way that you are. I heard dad say it this way, for many, many years, Jesus loves you too much to allow you to remain the way that you are. Is that about right? Something like that? Close enough. He said, it's close. I've heard him say it enough times to almost get it right. <laughs> he will not allow you. That's it. 
loves you too much to allow you to remain the way that you are. Something like that. If you heard him, there it was. <laughs> First doctrine of the church, you must change. Repentance is not a feeling alone. It's a choice and decision that one makes. Repentance is not crying at an altar. I've seen people cry at an altar and two days later they're being a bigger mess than before they cried at the altar. Nothing wrong with crying at an altar, right? Nothing wrong with it. But sometimes we have so elevated emotional response above actual heart change. And nothing wrong with emotions. God made your emotions. God will move through your emotions. I'm not, I'm not saying if you cry at an altar, nothing's happening in your life. But I am saying don't allow just crying at an altar to be where it ends. Change the way you think. Change the way that you think. Because changing the way you think is the only way that whenever you wake up on Monday morning and that Sunday morning altar feeling is gone. Come on, y'all don't look at me in that tone of voice. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Sunday morning, right? Whenever, whenever, whenever gratitude was playing. Because you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Yes, Jesus, with tears streaming snot coming out your nose, making a fresh commitment to God. And then Monday morning you went and you ran into the person that you make the crash jokes with at work. All right. And then the lion inside of your lungs got real quiet because you didn't have the emotional feeling. You haven't changed the way that you thought, which really means this, you haven't repented. We don't like to hear that, but that's what it really means. It means you haven't really repented, right? Whenever, 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 you, whenever you are down at the altar because there's a, a prophetic call about something going on in your, in, to, to, to lay down addiction and, and, and you come up because you've been battling with addictions and then on Friday night, your buddies who go to the bar call you. Have you really repented? Or is it just something that you had an emotional experience for because emotional experiences are not repentance. They are not one in the same. I've, I've taken, I've taken kids to youth conferences and watched them had real encounters with God. And Kelly's crying. I mean, not crying, smiling. Cause she's been on some of those trips and seen those kids. Kelly was one of my youth too. And then seen them come home and end up in a worse spot a year later. When they started, because they had an emotional experience, but they didn't really walk in repentance. Y'all with me? Yes. Emotions only last for a short time. They're fleeting. Heart decisions will be acted on regardless of emotions. When you make a decision in your heart, it'll carry you through. If you only get the remorse feeling of part of repentance, but you don't get the mind-changing part, your life won't truly be changed. Now, biblically, why is important? Why is Y'all get anything out of this? Biblically, why is repentance important? Well, let's talk about it. One, John preached repentance. Y'all know that Jesus said this. Jesus said there was no one greater than John the Baptist. No man uh, or no one born of woman greater than John had ever lived. It's really interesting when you look at John's ministry. John preaches one message his whole life. John would have been an awful pastor. He had one message that he preached. One. John preaches one message over and over again. What is it? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's calling people to repentance. John's message was you've got to get your life right 
you got to turn around. You've got to change the way that you think. You have to change your life. It's time to get right with God. That's what John does. He's, and by the way, we don't, we don't really ever think about how John wasn't, John wasn't beheaded because everybody liked him. Generally, people don't get killed because people are excited about what they're preaching. Right? John uh, is, is confronting the political system of the day, and he's, and he's confronting the religious leaders, so we could even say the political parties of the day. And he's telling them, all y'all are crooked and evil, and y'all need to repent and get your lives right before God. And Herod, you're living in adultery, and you're wrong, and repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, got real quiet around here. After that, Jesus preaches repentance. The first message Jesus ever preaches. He picks up right where John leaves off. Matthew 4, he says, says, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is real simple for me. For real, and we're going to talk about it more. We'll give you some more examples. But this is really simple to me. If John preached it and there was no man born of woman greater than John, and then if the Messiah, Jesus, preached it, then we better be preaching repentance. Because if they preached it, it must have been important. And by the way, there's other things we preach on, there's other things we talk about, because we need to talk about other things and we need to be equipped in other areas of our life. But this is like, this is at the foundation of all of it, right? You can get all the marriage teaching in the world, but if you don't repent, your marriage is still gonna be in trouble. You can get all the parenting advice, listen to all the podcasts, all that in the world. But if you don't start with repentance, you're still going to be in trouble, right? You can go through Dave Ramsey's budgeting seminar and snowball debt relief and all that stuff. If you don't start with repentance, being debt free doesn't do you much good. Y'all with me? This is the root where we start. Peter preaches repentance. First message, Acts 2.38, tells him to repent. His second message, he tells him to repent. Later on, he tells him again, repent. These are important. Paul, in Acts 17, says this, all men everywhere need to repent. Letters to the churches in the book of Revelation. Y'all know, those, y'all know those, those letters, Revelations 2 and 3, which were written to actual churches in Asia Minor. If you want to know who Revelation was written to, it wasn't to us. All right, got real quiet again. We'll talk about that some other time. It was not written to us. It was written to seven churches in Asia Minor. John's very clear about who it's written to. It was not written to America. It was written to seven churches in Asia Minor. And in those seven churches, guess what? In five out of the seven, guess what Jesus says to those churches? Repent. He tells them to Repent. Listen, we should live a lifestyle of repentance. First John 1, 9 and 10 says this. If we confess our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then he says this in verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. Well, praise God. Because the reality is, I don't care how holy you are and how much you think you may not have sinned. The Bible tells us a different story. 
Because it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory, come short of the glory of God. So if you don't, if you think you don't need to repent, that is the number one indicator <laughs> that you do in fact need to repent. It's the number one indicator. I don't think I need to repent for anything. Well, I can tell you one thing you don't need to repent for, that you need to repent for right now. Pride. <laughs> Listen, you can't live in denial. You can't say something is okay when God says it's sin. Which is another reason you need to know the word and know what the word says is sin. Uh, and obviously, you also need to listen to the inner witness, the Holy Spirit, who will lead you and guide you and tell you, hey, don't do that. We call it a conscience. A lot of people call it the conscience. You know, you've got Jiminy Cricket talking to you. But in reality, that's the voice of the Holy Spirit telling you, hey, you know better than that. And we go, that's the voice of the enemy's condemnation. No, that's the Holy Spirit trying to keep you out of trouble. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's really this simple. It's this simple. Repentance from dead works is important. Repentance from from the way that you used to be. We've been made a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's what, word, that's what the word says, that we have been made new creations, that the old man has passed away and all things have become what? New. When something is new, when your spirit man is made new, it doesn't act the way that it used to. And not only that, for believers, our spirit man should be the driving force, not your flesh. Your spirit man is never going to compel you to not repent and to live in sin. Your flesh might. And that's also why, 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 why Paul told us to mortify the deeds of the flesh, to crucify your flesh. Daily crucify your flesh. Because every day you wake up, if you listen to your flesh, your flesh is going to tell you to do something that's not right. Can we be real? Can we be real? How many of you at some point today, your flesh wanted you to do something that wasn't right? I know one of y'all got cut off in traffic and you wanted to do something that you shouldn't have done. <laughs> I know somebody had some coworker or something say something cross to you. Your boss got on your nerves. Your coworker did something that you didn't like and you wanted to get in the flesh right now. Right? That's why you crucified the deeds of the flesh the, and, and you begin to walk in Repentance. You begin to repent. By the way, uh, I, I don't say this. I want you to hear the heart in which I say this. Uh, repentance should be something that we walk in daily. Right? I don't mean that in the sense of every day you have to beg and plead for salvation. That's not what I'm talking about. Don't misunderstand me. Right? I think we've made, in, in, once again, like always, every, almost everything today in our Christian culture, there are two sides of this ditch where in some cultures we have made it, it doesn't matter what you do, which is not good. That's where the, in, uh, it's the, the, the doctrine of, of the Nicolaitans is talked about in, in the book of Revelation. The Nicolaitans were a, um, they were a Gnostic sect in the early church that um, essentially got to a point where they just believed nothing mattered, everything was under the blood, everything was under grace, Jesus had already done everything, so it didn't matter what you did, you just do whatever you want to do and it doesn't matter. In the book of Revelation, Jesus said that he, he hates the deeds 
of the Nicol- didn't say he hates the Nicolaitans, said he hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans, right? This idea that it, none of it matters, you can just do whatever you want. And we'll talk about that. I was going to talk about faith towards God, and we'll talk about that a little bit in there, but probably not going to have time tonight. But then there's this other ditch over here where we believe salvation is so easily to spook and lose. Where like, you know, some of y'all grew up like this, if, especially if you grew up in a, in a real old school classical Pentecost background, right? If you stubbed your toe and said a bad word and simultaneously a lightning bolt hit you, straight to hell, right? There is no question about it. You sinned. You offended God. You are no longer saved. You are going straight to hell. If you were disobedient and you went to a movie theater, right? And the trumpet sounded. Everybody else's clothes were going to be neatly folded beside you. And you were left behind while the Antichrist rose to power. And you better go get your cabin in the woods to survive the seven-year tribulation. Learn to grow corn quick. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody grow up this way? Right? That's, that's, that's another extreme to where, like, your salvation is more fragile than the china that you own. More fragile than grandma's teacup. You know what I'm saying? But there is this other road that we need to walk where we walk in repentance daily. Where we are cognizantly aware whenever something in our life doesn't measure up to where it should, that we have a broken and contrite heart. Not out of fear, but out of feeling such a weight of what God has done for us and what he wants to do through us, that it calls us up to a higher place, that we live repentant. One of the best things you can ever learn to do is repent. To God, to people that you hurt and offend, to your spouse, You're going to save yourself a lot of arguments if you just learn to say, I'm sorry, babe. All right. She was right anyways. That's exactly right. That's a, that's a man who has learned right there. How long, how long did it take you to learn that one, Jason? How many years? About five years. All right. We learn slow sometimes, ladies. Please forgive us. Save yourself a lot of heartache and trouble if you just learn to repent. You will save yourself... A lot of sleepless nights, if you learn to repent, you will save yourself a lot of condemnation from the enemy if you learn to repent, right? If you live repentant. I don't walk around with condemnation. You know why? Because I don't always hit the mark. I miss it. I got deathly silent. Y'all are like, well, not me. Well, you just missed it again. We all miss it. We've all missed it. We'll all miss it again in the future. Not because we just want to, but because we are imperfect beings who are being transformed in the glory of God day by day. We're all learning. We're all works in progress. But you'll get there a lot quicker if you learn to repent. You won't live in condemnation if you learn to repent and learn to repent quickly. You won't live in shame if you learn to repent. David was a messed up guy. David was messed up. As a matter of fact, 
if, if you go read the life of David and the life of Saul, David was probably more messed up than Saul. I know for some of y'all, y'all are struggling with that. Some of the things that, that David did were a lot worse than what caused the kingdom to be ripped from Saul. Saul's sin was really a sin of omission. David did a lot of, he just did a lot of stuff that was awful, terrible. But you know what David was? Quick to repent. You know what Saul wasn't? Quick to repent. Saul made excuses. David repented. When people justify their actions quicker than they repent, doesn't leave you in a good spot. God will do more with somebody who's messed up, who's quick to repent, than somebody who has a few problems, but they will never repent for what they've done. It is a lot easier to use the repentant than the unrepentant. There are people that I, over the course of ministry, that have had problems and issues, and I've been a lot quicker to meet with and talk to, and not that I won't meet with people, don't misunderstand me, but I'll work with repentant people. When you've got a repentant heart, I will, I will bear with you. I will work with you. When people are prideful and think that they've got it all together and they don't need anybody, I'm like, have fun. I'll see you whenever you hit the wall. Because that's what happens. Let's just be real. We have to live with repentance. Y'all get anything out of this tonight? Y'all receive something? We stand up to your feet. I just want you to lift your hands tonight to the Lord. I'm just going to pray this evening. Uh, I just want you to repeat after me tonight. Say, Father God, I thank you for what you've done for me. I thank you, Jesus, that you've made a way for me. I thank you for the future you have for me. And tonight, I'm making a choice to live in repentance, to live with a repentant heart. It's not something that I just did once. But it's a, it's a, it is a way of life that I will live in every single day. I embrace a lifestyle of repentance tonight. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise and glory tonight, amen. Thanks again for downloading this podcast. We trust that this message has blessed, encouraged, and edified you. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss a message here from High Praise. Also, you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And don't forget to go subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll be back soon with another incredible message. God bless you and have a great week.